Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today, we have Lindsay Maestas with us, and I'm beyond excited for you all to hear her story and about the amazing things that God has been using her to do. Not only is Lindsay a podcaster, entrepreneur, writer, and speaker, but she's also a mother, wife, and super down-to-earth person as well. Ladies and gentlemen, here is my conversation with Lindsay Maestas. Lindsay, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And I'm so impressed that you said my last name properly. (laughs) Most people butcher it with Mastis. I was born a little, so it was always very easy. And then marrying my husband, it's become where everyone's like, sorry, I'll just call you Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) Now on on your bio and everything, it says you prefer to be called Linz. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, family and friends, you call me whoever you want. I'm, I'm okay, easy. Jeff. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just super pumped that you're taking time out of your day to be here. And I, I find your story super encouraging, especially the fact that you started this podcast, um, Living Easy, and it, it just kind of blew up and became its own thing. So I want to dive into like the heart behind that first and then kind of get into your story and what God, who God created you to be. Okay. Awesome. So. Um, man, there's a lot. So with the podcast itself, I started blogging about six years ago, five and a half years ago. Um, and it was in the midst of just postpartum anxiety. I remember, and I always say like, is it's such a core memory for me, but just being on my couch, I think I was nursing. I'm like covered in spit up and just same clothes from the day before and just kind of feeling like, okay, I need something for myself. But in the middle of the postpartum anxiety, I was researching and thankfully, I mean, five and a half years later, there's a lot more conversation on this. There's a lot more openness about the severity of anxiety and depression postpartum, but I couldn't find anyone else saying that they were like afraid of hurting their baby. I couldn't find anyone else saying that they didn't want to touch their baby. And so I thought something was just massively wrong with me and that I was a horrible mom and I didn't know why God gave me a baby. And I had a lot of moments like my husband, he's in real estate. And so he was able to take some time off with me. But anytime he did have to show a house, I immediately felt this sense of just dread and fear because he wouldn't be there with us. Not that I wasn't still doing everything, but I just, I needed someone. And I think he even worried at times, like, what did we get ourselves into? She can't handle this until I spoke with friend after friend after friend. And most of them were like, I'm so sorry. You know, I don't know what to say until someone said, you have severe postpartum anxiety. And then I was able to talk to a doctor. But in all of that, I realized, man, I want to bring freedom to women who feel this way because I only felt shame at that time. I only felt embarrassed that like I didn't have it all together. But then the more women I talked to, I realized this is just a consistent struggle in their lives. Like I find people who basically feel the sense of like, I don't know what I'm doing. Why didn't anyone warn me about this? So I wrote it down and it was a really quick write. I didn't think it over much. It was just felt completely led by the Holy Spirit. And it was about that, like, moms, have you ever felt this way? And that just blew up. I have an amazing support system, um, but it was, it got picked up by some magazines and stuff and totally a blessing. And then I realized how much 
I guess how much people want to hear the truth. They don't want to even be given parts of the truth because parts of the truth doesn't, it doesn't make us feel better and it doesn't free us from that shame. But when we're willing to share our weakness and when we're willing to tell our story, just like what Trevor talks about, we are able to give others freedom to kind of be that mess. And that's my motto on the Living Easy podcast and in my ministry as a whole is you're more than your mess because God has used my disaster of a past for his glory. And as I share more of my weaknesses, not that it's always easy or comfortable, like every conversation I get on like this, where it's testimony time, I'm like, all right, I have to prep myself a little bit and get there. But in my mind, I know from the stories I've written, the feedback I've received that it's just people are like, man, thank you so much for talking about something that is very uncomfortable. Um, and that kind of flows into what my, the majority of my story is. I kind of, I guess like what blew up with my ministry and my business as a whole was, um, I'm going to take a drink of water before I dive into this. Um, my testimony, which is, is I guess the story that has led most people to my page has led most people to my ministry is my teenage years. So when I was 14, I was raped at a party and it was, and I talk about it now much more freely because I've spoken about it a lot, but it's still something I talk like with my counselor about and my family, even we still kind of hash through it. And I feel like, I don't feel like I'm in bondage to it at all. But what happened was, um, I was raped. It was forceful. It was, uh, just horrible. And while I had gotten myself into the position of being at a party and drinking, I wasn't a Christian at the time. Um, I was very much, I don't know a better word, like manhandled and taken advantage of to a point where I was not able to defend myself. Um, as probably as much details I'll give, but, and then I went to the rape crisis center, got evaluated. They, I share often that the way that they handled it was actually really hard for me. And at the time I didn't understand because they show you video and they show you your bruises and your marks and your cuts and, um, that stuff. And it, it was really as a 14 year old, you know, you think you're an adult, but now I look back and I see my nieces and they're babies, you know, and they just for something like that. And I was a virgin at the time. And so for something like that to happen, it just really affects your psyche But in spite of all of the evaluation and everything, um, there were some people in my life who just refused to acknowledge it as what it was and would Mm. only focus on the fact that I had gone to that party and had alcohol. And so then it became my fault. And when it was addressed with the person that I thought would protect me, um, and I, I mean, I was ready. Let's go to the police. Let's go to the school. Let's go he was much older than me. Um, it was just dismissed. And I think that part is what has been the hardest for me is some of the people, many we've made amends. We've finally discussed it. Thanks to the podcast. I mean, because I've spoken about it and been open, it's opened a door, even though it was uncomfortable for us to hash back that many years ago. Um, but there were still some people who are unwilling to acknowledge the way that it went. And so for me, when it was dismissed, 
in spite of me doing I, what I felt like were all of the right steps. And this is what I want to get through because there are always, there's always the question of, well, why didn't you tell someone sooner? And it's like, just because you tell someone sooner, doesn't mean that they're going to believe you. And I wasn't a believable girl. I wore skimpy clothes. I, you know, like went to parties with guys who were older than me. I flirted. I did all these things, but I was very specific in saying, I do not want to have sex with you. I do not want your hands on me. And that didn't matter to him. He put his hand over my mouth anyway. And so in spite of doing all the right things, I still wasn't believed. And I just, there's got to be a shift in the way that our world and our system works with this, I think as a whole, um, just in the view of women, you know, asking for it. And so that really made me feel, okay, I'm not worth protecting. I'm not worth fighting for. And these aren't even words I probably knew at that age. I just acted on that. Um, my body's not valuable enough for the people who should care about it the most to care about it. And so I don't care about it and I don't think I have value and I don't think I have worth. So years and years after that, I just gave myself away. I didn't feel that I had any, um, reason not to, I guess. And I would date guys and mostly it was in relationships, but, I would be intimate with them and I would cry and I would want to leave and I'd want to take a shower and I felt disgusting. And I just lived like this because I felt like they wouldn't stay. They wouldn't want me. They wouldn't, I don't know, want to continue this relationship if I didn't give that to them. And most of the time that was the case, you know, it was held over my head as a young girl, even, which is why I'm such an advocate on the living easy podcast about talking to your kids so early about sex and porn and all of that, because the average age now that a child sees porn is age eight. It was 12, like two years ago. And because everyone has access to phones, isn't that wild? That's insane. Yeah. Eight years old. Yeah. It's so young. They're babies. And I have people in my family who have struggled with that, that kids at the school have a phone and they're showing their children. So talk about sex. It is a good thing, a God thing, a gift. But when it's not discussed and when they learn from people at school, even though you feel like they're so young and you don't want to taint them, they're learning anyway. And I wish I would have had those conversations um, that somebody would have talked to me about like why you don't do it, not just don't do it, you know, but no, it's a beautiful gift. So that um, I kind of navigated that in the most messy way, my life. And I would truly, it was, it was giving myself and regretting it instantly and feeling shame. And I say now I truly believe like God was already pulling on me at that time. Cause I just knew it was wrong. I knew even with a long-term three-year boyfriend, every time, like it tugged at me, like this is not right. And, but I felt like a torn up piece of cloth and I was just trying to patch myself back together in the wrong way and seeking alcohol and all of these things. And I remember one night, um, I, my parents, my mom became a Christian and she had been telling me about Jesus and I would just write her off. You know, I don't want to be a part of your fairy tale. And I read Buddhism books. I read Scientology books. I read self-help motivational books. I read anything but the Bible. I didn't want anything to do with the Bible. I just, I don't know. It's just that rebellious, sinful spirit, (laughs) you know, but none of those things did anything. I was still the same girl seeking the same validation, um, cheating on boyfriends, boyfriends cheating on me, 
but terrified of being alone. I would have a boyfriend on speed dial or an ex-boyfriend in case this relationship didn't work out, you know? And that's a lot to navigate. I've been married nine years now. It's a lot to navigate in a marriage when you are used to hopping off the wagon as soon as something gets hard. So I talk about that a lot on the podcast too. But yeah, and so I just felt dirty and I felt ashamed and I felt messy. And I remember hearing once about a secondhand virgin. It was actually Jessica Simpson. And I thought that's that's a bizarre thought. It's like you can't be a secondhand virgin. You can't be a virgin second time around. But as I started seeking the Lord at this time, I finally, I know this story is kind of all over. It's a long story. So um, I had a moment of clarity, like I can't live this life anymore. I can't, I just feel so ashamed of myself. And there are people that I knew in high school who are still living that life now, just because you grow up doesn't mean you grow out. And so it is, it's a decision, it's a choice, but ultimately it's a heart change from the Lord. And I just surrendered and I said, fine, God, like, I don't know if this is the right way. I definitely didn't pray the sinner's prayer. I just said, I'll try it. (laughs) You know, I'll try you. And it seems promising. And I just, I, I can't live this way. And it was, I mean, immediate. And when my faith struggles and when I doubt, this is the time I go back to because it was such an overnight change of heart to where I no longer wanted to be intimate where I called all of the girls that I had wronged and I had hurt and gossiped about and very, very embarrassingly apologized to them for all of the stuff I had done. That was not me. I was a very prideful, still struggle with it, but prideful, like I won't admit my wrongdoing, but I read the word and I was just like conviction after conviction after conviction. And I knew like, I always say nothing changes if nothing changes. If I don't do something about this life that I'm living, I'm going to live this way forever. But because of the Holy Spirit convicting my heart and leading me to that obedience, there's so much healing that has been done. And so I did, I was like, okay, Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is you telling me, I can become new. I'm not stuck here. I don't have to live in the memory of that rape. I don't have to live in the memory of sleeping around and being promiscuous and seeking attention in every platform and way, shape and form. And, but I can try, oh, I can try again, you know? And so I went to my local church and I put on a purity ring. And I always say like, it was just that super ugly cry moment where I could, and I didn't expect it. Like I was literally like, okay, I'm going to drive away, but I put it on and it wasn't the ring itself. The ring itself doesn't do anything, but it was a symbol of like, man, I'm really not stuck in this disaster. Like I'm not stuck and I can have freedom from that shame because God says, this is not who you are. I've washed you white as snow. You are cleansed by my blood. And I've never believed that, I think, more than in that moment where I I knew it, I was going to stop. And I went to my current boyfriend and I told him, who was not a believer, kind of what path I was on and that I wanted to be celibate. And I mean, you can imagine that lasted a very short time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that ended. Um, thankfully, I'm very thankful. And so 
it, it was a process, but as I started writing after getting married and working through that part of, you know, being pure throughout my engagement, which was not an easy thing because I really, that's how I felt loved. And that's how I felt wanted. And my husband now, Jesse would literally throw me off of him and say, no, I'm going to honor God. And I'm like, yeah, like (laughs) leave crying and slam the door because I knew I loved Jesus and I knew this is what I wanted. And he knew this is what I wanted, but it was also really hard. It was also really tempting And I just wanted that assurance from him. I just wanted that assurance from him. Um, And, and so for me, it was a big transition to really not relying upon intimacy as a crutch, not relying upon it when we got in a fight, not relying upon it when we had nothing to talk about, which I say is why I think our relationship is so strong because we didn't use that as an escape. We really just leaned into emotional, mental connection. And he's still like my very, very best friend. And I really, truly love my marriage. And I'm thankful for that strength because I, in that moment, he showed me that he just wanted me. He wanted Lindsay. Um, he didn't want me for physically what I could offer, which I think I just didn't give myself that respect at all in the beginning. Um, so then I shared that story with the world and that was a very terrifying story to tell. It was posted through tears when I talked about, you know, my promiscuity, cause I knew my family's reading this. My friends are reading this, my old high school friends who knew and room talked, like spread the rumors. They knew they were right. I'm like, okay, I'm validating what you gossiped about. But I also felt such little shame, even though I was crying, I felt such little shame because I knew this weakness of mine, this willingness to speak out about the gross and the messy brings freedom to other people who have been here and who live in that shame and the condemnation that does not come from Christ. And so I pressed enter and it turned into so much more than I ever, I thought like, you know, my Facebook network, a few, I had like 500 Instagram followers at the time and, um, focus on the family picked it up first. And that had like 2 million shares and then faith it and then relevant magazine. And it was at like 15 million shares or something insane by the end. So with that, I was like, okay, Lord, like you're validating this because it wasn't me perfecting this blog post. It was like, here is the disgusting, you know, and like, please still love me, (laughs) even though I'm sharing it, but ultimately please see Jesus in the thick of it. And, and don't judge me, you know, and there was judgment. There were plenty of comments and, um, you know, the internet is great. Yeah, You have those occasional trolls and, uh, just on that alone, it's like, I forgot what the statistic is, but it's like, maybe all of the comments and such come from like 8% of the people that actually use it. Yeah. So it it's minimal. Yeah. It's like very minimal, but that's the first thing you read. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's what you look for. Right. Like your story is just so jam packed that like these notes are not being used. Um, God has just created such a testimony through you and, you're saying that you say on living easy, you're more than your messes. That 
it, it's true to you mm-hmm. because it's your testimony. Mm-hmm. Like you, I, one of the things I really want to touch on is it is super like thought provoking to me that like, uh, after you were raped and you went through that whole process and after you would sleep with your boyfriends, you would cry. But then when your fiance wouldn't sleep with you, you'd cry as well. So it was almost like you thought that was love. Like mm-hmm. you thought, okay, so this guy that raped me was like, he was trying to love me. Like mm-hmm. that's, it's just ironic how the psyche behind the brain mm-hmm. can tell you that some things are more important than they actually are. And the fact that Jesse was like, nope, like even when you're climbing on a like spider monkey, you're like, nope, yeah. we're going to wait. <laughs> and <laughs> you, yeah, thank you. Um, uh, good old redneck Georgia slang there. <laughs> but it's, it's mind boggling. Like I didn't know that piece. Um, mm. And it's just, God has taken that story. And like you said, upward 15 million people just mm-hmm. on that one article, like, mm-hmm. come on, he did that for you. And you're his daughter. And for mm-hmm. all of the daughters and maybe even sons that are listening um, of Christ, like sexual purity, isn't like, if, if you break that, it's not the end of the road for you. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I, I have lots of thoughts. So I think yes, with the love and the affection, like I, when I look back to that night, I know, like, I mean, it's, it's, it is the most bizarre thing because you're thinking I've never felt so disgusting. I've never felt so abused. I've never felt so filthy. And yet you think, well, I'm wanted, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you, these morph together and then wanted, like you said, becomes enough. Whereas when you're wanted, I mean, plenty of women are wanted and then used and abused. They're not cared for. And I think that when people get stuck in these really unhealthy relationships where it is all focused on sex and it's all focused on, I mean, couples who watch pornography, like it is, it becomes so messy from the root when they're living together before marriage, you know, and there's reason for that because it causes temptation to sleep together that you avoid that. And, but all of these things, it's like every day as a Christian, you're kind of choosing to sin every day. You're saying, I'm putting myself in temptation's way when the Bible says flee from temptation, don't fight it. Don't battle it out. No run from it as fast as you can get away and use God's word to combat it. And so I would, the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I would repeat that over and over when I was with Jesse, I'm like, no, the kingdom of heaven, eternity, living with a purpose of, you know, focusing on the Jesus, on, on Jesus and my life with him is so much more important than feeling wanted by my spouse. But I'd learned to idolize that in such a way to place it on a pedestal, that relationship, that dependency, that value, quote unquote value. I had placed that in the position of God. And that's why like in talking about sex as a whole is to say it is not the, the church I always say says sex is a dirty, disgusting thing. Do it with the person that you love. I'm like, Oh my gosh, no, what a mess. You know, it is a beautiful thing. It is a glorious thing is a pleasurable, wonderful thing. Do it with the person that you love, like save it for the person that you love. Because I talk about that, like your memories of that, they don't go away. You can't just cleanse your mind. And I remember somebody telling me that when I was really young and I, you know, only half heard them. 
But when you get married, you just expect like your whole past to disappear. And that's not the case. I gave away pieces of my heart to men who didn't deserve it. I gave away pieces of my body to men who didn't deserve it. Um, And now I live with that. Like I live with the consequence of that sin. And while I feel like the Holy Spirit has done great redemptive work in my heart, there are still moments that that's a struggle. And I talk about dreams. You know, I think the enemy uses dreams to really mess with our minds. And sometimes that's the case. But I do feel the more I've spoken, the more I share like this, the easier it becomes. And not that I become more numb at all to it. I don't, I, I don't know that I ever will feel numb to it, but I think that there is a great sense for me of knowing that I'm no longer in bondage. When your sin is in the light, when your circumstances are in the light, Satan loses his power because you're saying, okay, God, here it all is like, here's the mess. And you think of people who lie or who have secrets, they're the most torn up inside because they, or they just don't even know which way is right and left. You know, they don't have clarity, but when you just say, here it is, when you get in a fight with someone, you're like, actually, you know what? I totally screwed up. And I'm what I said was awful and it was awful of me and I'm wrong. Like, I'm so sorry. What does that do? It just clears the air. Yes. It hurts our pride, but it honors the Lord and it, it sanctifies the purity of the relationship ultimately. And so I think that's everything I, and I just am so big on that. Like share your story. Don't be afraid to open up to those people around you that you think are going to judge you because they've likely been through something similar And the messages, the emails from people, the most common place aside from the U.S. that I received emails from was Africa. And that was the most incredible. I don't know how it got there, but women, Uganda, you know, woman after woman after woman saying, this is my story, usually the rape situation. Um, I've never, ever heard anyone talk about it. And this is not to boast on myself at all, because like I said, I was humiliated sharing that story. I still have a hard time, but again, it goes back to like, what has the Lord called me to? And that's the obedience. And then you see the fruit of his good work through those stories. Yeah. And you sharing all that is, it, it's reassuring to the person listening. I feel like for myself, when I started talking about anxiety and depression and toxic masculinity and overcoming the thought process behind it. When I first started sharing about it, I grew up with three brothers, you know, in a little town called Social Circle, Georgia, really small. And you don't talk about that. You don't go to therapy. You don't get medication. If you do that, you're something I'm not going to say. Like it's, it's, it was so hard. And, but once I started talking about it, the more I realized like all of these macho, good old boys and girls around me that were acting like they had it all together were struggling as well. And one by one, they would come up, look, I struggle too. And it's like, yeah, I know we all do to a certain extent, you know? And so for me, it was never like the sexual side of things, except for like, I fell into pornography and like, watching it. And I was like, I would always feel empty afterwards. And the more I talk about it, the more I talk about anxiety and depression, I I feel like you relieved of that bondage and not that I was like actively sinning in it. But when you know that you have an issue and you don't address it to a certain extent, it could become sin. Mm -hmm. Like what thoughts are that provoking? Are you anxious and depressed? And 
um, just trying to find escape. And then you stumble into pornography. That was what happened to me. I felt yeah. so lost and alone and afraid and spoiler alert. Like I am super awkward when it comes to like dating and all that. Like no bueno. <laughs> like I see a cute girl, like somebody's like, go say something. I'm like, mm -mm. like mm, she don't want me. <laughs> like, no, we're good. Internet dating might be for you. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know about all that. Like I get nervous texting. So it's just one of those things. Everybody has their thing that they like lock up in a closet. And for me, like, I'm just not that flirty. Yeah. No, like we'll and see how totally it goes. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. we're good. Like it's fine, <laughs> but it's just like, okay, whatever. We'll figure yeah. it out. God's got um, a plan for it. So, yes. but it's just reassuring to hear someone else that's gone through the ringer with it. And mm -hmm. for the people that are listening that may have struggled with sexual sin and feel like they're too far gone, maybe even you speaking to young Lindsay um, mm -hmm. from the Lindsay you are now raising two beautiful boys. You have mm -hmm. Jesse, like it from the outside, it seems like you have it all together. Right. And then we before don't. we got on this call, <laughs> yeah. you spilt coffee all over your computer. <laughs> Sorry. I'm telling everybody. No, tell them. No, it's, it's like, yeah. Like when, I was doing an interview the other day and my microphone arm totally fell off and you'll see it. If you go watch the Dr. Caroline leaf, if you're watching this on YouTube and I don't know when it was, but just watch it. Like the one interview, you don't want it, that to happen. Like yeah. it happens. That's a great so, interview. Yeah. I, I would not like, want to mess that up either. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, but it's, you did great. It, it happens. Like yeah. things happen. Spill coffee, like yeah. microphones fall. Um, I trip and fall. Like I'm so clumsy. It's great. Like I tripped and fell the one of the first times I was on a major platform emceeing a festival. Um, Lecrae was getting done and I'm running out there and luckily the lights were off because he still wasn't done yet. Like there was yeah. a thing in there. I tripped like <laughs> on stage. It was like 10,000 people and I, nobody saw it, but I remember it. And it, it, people, people love relatable though. Like, yeah. like I know Jenna Kutcher, I listen to for business podcast mm -hmm. stuff. And when I, before I even started podcasting, she talked about how she still records in her closet, you know, multimillionaire, like still records in her closet. And I think one, the relatability, not that we need to worship or idolize the relatability, because sometimes I think we can do that where mm -hmm. we're like, normalize, normalize, you know? But yeah, I mean, it's absolutely freeing to see women who are not Photoshopped. It's absolutely freeing to hear of pasts that are marked by shame, but are no longer living in shame that are marked by anxiety, depression, but are like overcoming and fighting through those things are, I mean, it is, it's incredibly important to speak out. And I, I think there's also a place of saying when we focus on Jesus rather than on ourselves, and when we deny ourselves, it can be really fruitful. <laughs> um, and it's why Jesus says, you know, pick up your cross and follow me. What do you have if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? You truly have nothing. And gaining the whole world is gaining the approval and the likes and the engagement. And I have crazy social media boundaries because I can get sucked into that stuff. But I would say, I guess to younger Lindsay, oh man, um, I think I would, to anyone who struggles like I did, I would say, one, your future is likely going to be so much better than you could ever imagine. I, Jesse and I have this conversation like once a month. Can you, can you believe, like, imagine if we were in our first house in the ghetto that got broken into and was like 
super, super sketchy. Imagine us saying like, oh, you got to renovate a new home. You know, we would have never imagined that we could do something like that. Or going all the way back, like imagine that you could even have a healthy marriage filled with trust after you cheated on everyone that you dated and they cheated on you. While that took a lot of healing, I am so thankful because it just shows what the Lord can do, that my heart was a wreck and it is now being restored. I still mess up constantly. Jesse and I fight. I yell at my kids sometimes. I, I'm always a work in progress, you know, but there is a place of just worshiping Jesus and saying, God, you are so, so good for all that we have. And no matter what we have, I mean, we're so rich in America, you know, and do we actually show gratitude for those things? Do we have those things? But I wish I would have known my identity in Jesus. I wish I would have known that I was valuable and that no matter how many people I tried to use to fill that hole in my heart, that it never would be satisfied because I'm constantly seeking out this attention that wavers. You know, they go give that attention to someone else or they hurt me or they, I don't know, just don't want me anymore. And then I feel rejected, most painful feeling in the world. I, But had I had a solid foundation and knowing God loves me, God knows my past and he loves me. He knows my future and he loves me. He knows my current sin struggles and he loves me. I don't wake up one day and he's like, oh, you've had a really bad morally upright day. Like I'm not going to choose you today. He chooses me every day and he chooses the listeners every day when we've surrendered our lives to him and acknowledge that he is our savior. And so for me, having something foundational and having conversations to know, like it is not all fun and games. I have somebody in my life who's really struggling. She is pure and she's remaining pure and wants to until marriage. But she's like, man, Lynn, I, she's a teenager. She's like, I just want to be held. Like, I want to know what it's like to be wanted. I want to know what it's like to be touched. I want like, and I said, those are all beautiful basic human instincts. Those are gifts from God. It is a beautiful thing to want that. And it is natural. You are not sinful for desiring that, but don't give it away. Don't give it away to somebody who would not walk 500 miles for you, you know, who wouldn't swim the ocean for you. Give it to somebody who would like Jesse would say, nope, I'm shoving you off the bed because I honor you and your heart and your mind. And most importantly, I honor the Lord more than I want sex and intimacy. And then you get it. Like once you're married, you get to experience the fullness of that. It's not like God is trying to rip something good away from you. He's saying, I'm protecting you because how many heartbreaks are already painful enough when you're not physical? You're giving 50%. You're giving your heart and your mind. But then when you add your body into it, you're literally giving 100% of yourself to this person and saying, okay, value me, cherish me, but they're imperfect as well. you know. And so then you are double crushed because you've given that to them. And I have a lot of couples who ask me, you know, we're engaged. We already know we're getting married. So I just don't get like why we shouldn't do it. And I would say one, You're not under the covenant. God says, once you are married, you are then one. You are then made one. I know countless people who have ended engagements. I Mm. was looking at rings with a man who was physically abusive and could care less about my purity, you know, and we were Christians. And so while I thought he was the one, my family loved him, it was going to happen. 
it didn't happen. And had I given myself away, I would have massively regretted that. And I'm thankful I didn't. But that's to say you don't know. Until you have said, I do, you don't actually know. You've been in a long-term relationship. I was in a long-term relationship and it ended. So just know God does this because he protects your heart. God does not do this to rip joy from your life. I will speak. It was not joyful. If sex made us the most joyful person ever, the prostitute would be the happiest person alive. You know, if alcohol made us so happy and filled that hole, the alcoholic would be the happiest person alive. We see that as not the case. The Lord is the living water and he desires to fill you and he desires to free you from the temptation um, to feel like you have to fill yourself with these relationships and with these people when they're not who God has for you, or he just wants you to wait a little bit longer and trust in him. And I couldn't, I couldn't accommodate a better place to end this on. Like just that reminder there, um, Christians, like if you're a non-believer and you're listening, we love you. Like mm -hmm. if you're going through something right now, or maybe you're a believer and you went freak for a week and you're trying to find your way back to redemption, you know, like God's got a purpose for you. And I know my wild analogies can kind of be distracting with it, but I, at the end of the day, like I use them because A, it's my personality and B, you'll think about it later on. You'll laugh yeah. about it. And it, it it's just thought provoking. So mm -hmm. if you're struggling with sexual temptation, or maybe you're struggling with your mental health, or maybe you've been raped in your life. Mm -hmm. um, as you see with Lindsay's story, like nobody's too far gone. You're more than your messes. And that's mm -hmm. the whole message behind the Living Easy podcast, which I encourage everyone to go listen to. Um, she's got so many tips and tricks and just meaningful conversation. She's even got an episode with Carrie Job, which I even emailed her after I listened to. It. I was like, yo, this was good. So <laughs> good. Like you ain't going to hear it anywhere so, else. She was yeah. so loving. Matthew West too, by the way, I will say one of the kindest people I've ever met in my whole entire life. And his conversation was really good on like social media and kind of no. the pressures of it. I love that so much. And that's a whole conversation on itself. That was one thing I had written down before we got into this. And it was like, I, if they want to listen to scripted, then go listen to like Ellen or Jimmy. Well, Ellen's ending, but Jimmy Fallon and all that stuff. Like, yeah. you know, so thank you for taking time out of your day to be here. And uh, yeah. we're going to plug all your socials and everything in the bio. But yes. um, aside from, I feel like everybody ends their podcast with like, go follow them here, 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 and here. I want to yeah. do it a little bit different. What is the last message? If people walk away from this, only remember one thing, what would you want it to be? Um, I really think the biggest thing that's been laid on my heart recently is, and that I share often though, is nothing changes if nothing changes. And I mean that in the sense that when we live in a way that is either very comfortable or when we live in a way that is just stagnant and accepting of where we are, we lose out on so much life. Um, I have seen so many marriages and I do, a, I have a course called the wife project. It's an eight week course, 10 and a half hours of video, um, really digging into hard relationship stuff. But the whole purpose of it is to focus on ourselves because it's really easy to point our fingers at our spouses. And while Jesse and I have plenty to say for husbands on the living easy podcast for this one, for the wife project, I wanted to speak to wives because 
we are part of a marriage too. We are part of a relationship too, or even as a single girl, you're going to be. And I'm really just big on self-evaluation. Like God calls us to examine our hearts, to check our hearts and our hearts are deceitful above all things. And so what does that mean when we check our hearts against scripture? When we compare to, you know, what is God saying actually about this? It's not how I feel or what I believe to be right. What does God's word say? And he's given us a guidebook through the Bible to lead us in that. But sometimes it takes really deep and hard evaluation that doesn't feel super comfortable, but that's where growth comes from. And in the wife project, it's been cool because um, we've seen so many women who are saying, you know, I had a list, a laundry list of things about my husband that I kind of despised and I had grown to be resentful of. And as I've gone through this, because it comes with a like 70 page journal that does challenges and marriage questions and all kinds of things that it really causes them to reflect and to see themselves in the light of Christ instead of the light of their husband or um, even just their own opinion. So I would say nothing changes if nothing changes. If you're not willing to do the hard, holy heart work and get to the root of some of this stuff, your life is going to look the same. But if you see temptation and you see it coming consistently, okay, are you talking to someone? Do you have accountability? Are you reading the word? Are you reading books? Are you listening to resources? Are you actively fighting that with God's word? Um, and are you are you trying to live a life of abundance for the glory of God? Or are you just floating? Like, don't float. Life is too short. It's like a wind, a mist that appears and then vanishes. It is so fleeting. So take those actionable steps. While faith can be passive as well, God does the work. We're also called to respond to his calling in obedience. And so what does that look like for your life? Start making active, intentional choices that will impact the rest of your life. So that I think would be my final word. I love that so much. And ladies and gentlemen, this has been Miss Lindsay Mayesos. Go check her out on the Living Easy podcast and follow her on socials below. This episode has been powered by New Release Today Network, and we will talk to you guys next week. Hello, my name is Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.